Well, today, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians 9. We're going to start in verse 6. We're in the middle of a series called This is the Church. And this week, we're talking about becoming a generous church from 2 Corinthians 9. It's a good follow-up to last week's message as we remember these uh, believers in Jerusalem that were giving of their possessions and their stuff. And now we're going to get to the motivation behind that type of giving that God calls us to have as believers. So 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6, we're going to go to the end of the chapter there, verse 15. And just a reminder, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. There's one in the back there. So if if you don't have a Bible, uh, you're going to want one if you're here at Hope Fellowship because we go through the Bible. That's kind of our curriculum, if you will. It's uh, not my curriculum, it's God's curriculum. And so Uh, We would love to give you a Bible if you don't have one. But hear God's word to us today. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others." while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is God's word. You may sit down and let's pray together as we come to understand it. Father, we want to have your heart in generosity. Lord, we know that you are the greatest giver. And so now as we look at this text together, we ask you would speak to us, challenge us, encourage us, comfort us. We pray that you would do a mighty work by the power of your spirit. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, money is always a sensitive subject especially when you talk about money at church, especially when the pastor talks about how you should give your money, like how, how more awkward could you get? So we just kind of want to acknowledge that up front, and, and I want to say a couple things about that. First, there's no uh, hidden agendas here. There's, uh, we're not about to embark on a building campaign. Uh, Although someday we'd love to have a building, that's another matter, but we're not doing that now. 
Uh, we're not in a budget crisis. We're not way behind our budget like we were even a few months ago. So this message is not, um, there's no agenda behind it. The reason why talking about money and how we should use the resources and steward the resources God gives us, the reason why it's so important is because it's a key indicator of our discipleship. It's a key part of our growth as followers of Christ. So we need to understand what God's perspective is on those things he gives to us. And here at Hope Fellowship, we want to increasingly be a healthy church. That's what this whole series is about. And a healthy church is a generous church, a church that reflects the generosity of God the Father. And so today we want to hear from God as he speaks to us through his word in this important area. Well, I just started reading in 2 Corinthians 9 and we've descended into this part of the letter and we need to know where we've parachuted into and where we've landed if we want to understand what's going on. Here in 2 Corinthians 9, we're at the end of a section that began in 2 Corinthians 8 where Paul is talking about generous giving. And he's giving the Corinthians this example of the church up north in Macedonia. He's saying these people up north, the poor brothers, you know, extreme poverty up there, they have given generously to the church in Jerusalem. That church we talked about last week, they were impoverished, they needed aid. And the churches in Macedonia, they begged Paul and his companions for the grace to give to the church in Jerusalem. And so Paul is exhorting the Corinthians. He's saying, hey, look what they did. You guys, you're not in quite the same spot. You're rich in every way. Why don't you follow their example? And the Corinthians had started to give this type of gift to Jerusalem about a year ago, but they hadn't completed their gift. So Paul is exhorting them, continue in what you had started and give to this church in Jerusalem. But the, the point that Paul wants to drive home is he, he wants them to know uh, why they're giving. Uh, what is the motivation behind their giving? And much like us today, the Corinthians did not fully understand that reason. They didn't understand why to give. They needed teaching and instruction on the matter. And so just like the Corinthians, if we as Hope Fellowship want to please God in this area... We need to be formed by God's word on our approach to giving. And that's what this passage does for us today. So the big point for us today, if you're taking notes, if you want to just write down a sentence that comes out of this passage, is this. God brings transformation through giving. God brings transformation through giving. And since that's the case, that God brings transformation through giving, we see in the text three responses to that. And the first response is found in verses 6 to, the, uh, to 11 there. And it's to catch God's vision for giving. So if you turn to verse 6 there, here we get a window into God's perspective on giving. As Paul supplies a general giving principle, he lays it out for us. And then he gives us the posture that God wants from us. This principle, then the posture that God wants us from us, and then he gives us the provision that God promises. It, it is three P's there if you're paying attention. So there's a principle, a posture, and a provision. So first, the giving 
principle. Look there at verse 6. Paul says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Remember, we just learned that Paul is in the middle of exhorting the Corinthians to give to the impoverished Jerusalem church. And so we're diving into his main point. So it's good to get right into the, the point. And what he is saying applies not to this Corinthians, but to us today. Here Paul is laying down this well-worn principle. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Now most of us in the western suburbs, if we live in the western suburbs, most of us aren't farmers. We're not used to sowing and reaping, literally. As I was thinking about this, uh, the most sowing and reaping that I do is in my lawn right now. And so uh, if you think about grass and grass seed, it's pretty expensive. And so we, in our backyard, we've got a bunch of, if you've been to our backyard, you know this, there's a bunch of holes in our back, backyard. And uh, some years ago, I thought, well, grass seed is expensive. I'm just going to put a little bit of seed. I'm going to almost like measure it out because I'm almost measuring the dollars as I'm uh, going out there. And so I, I put a, a little bit of grass seed there. And what I did not account for was that birds would eat some of the seed. Uh, you, you need to do more than just put a couple pieces of seed out there in order for grass to grow. And so I learned the hard way this principle of sowing and reaping. You, you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. You look at the backyard, it's still, it's still pretty bad if, if you come over to our house. And this is what Paul is saying here, the, the implication. He's saying if you sow sparingly, in this context, if you give sparingly, that's what he's talking about, giving, then you will reap sparingly. So in context, you'll be rewarded sparingly. And on the flip side, if you give abundantly, you will be rewarded abundantly. You know, this may be different than how you and I normally think about giving. When we think about giving, we, we may have more of a fixed mindset. Something like, well, I've got 100%. I'm going to give 10% of that to God and then uh, maybe 10% I'm going to save, and then the 80% left, that's, that's mine. That's whatever I want to do with, that's mine. And it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking what is minimally required for obedience. What does God just kind of require of me? I'm going to do that, that's, that's what I got to do. But that's not how giving works in God's economy. The Bible is very clear throughout that everything we own is his. All of it, 100%, not, not 10%, not 20%, all of it. Professor Donald Whitney puts it this way. He says, the question is not how much money should I give to God, but rather how much of God's money should I keep for myself. It's a different way of, of viewing money from God's perspective. You see, God is fully aware, he wants us to be fully aware that there's a huge payoff to us when we give. And as we'll learn in the future verses, this isn't the prosperity gospel, it's not, the huge payoff isn't that we're going to become rich when we give. That would be a false gospel. But there's huge spiritual payoff when we give as he has called us to. So that's the giving principle that he lays down. After we get the principle, now we get the posture 
that God wants us to have as we approach giving in verse 7. Look at the text there. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here we see that it's not the amount that we give that matters, but it's the way in which we give that matters to God. He wants us to give deliberately. He wants us to give purposefully as he has decided in his heart, as you decide in your heart. This speaks to intentionality. He wants us to give out of the right motivation. And that means he doesn't want us to give because we feel like we ought to or have to or because we're getting our arm twisted to do so. You know, some years ago, I went on a mission trip in college, and I had to raise money for this mission trip. And by and large, all the people that, raised, that gave to that trip were really excited about what I was doing, and they felt called to give. But there was one man who made it very clear to me that this was his hard-earned money. And he made it very clear to me that I needed to work strategically or else I was going to waste his very hard-earned money. And as he wrote that check, it felt like he was handing over one of his children to me because it was like cutting off his right arm. And friends, that is not the way God wants us to give. He does not want us to give reluctantly. He doesn't want us to give because we feel like we have to. He wants us to give because we, we get to, because there's a joy in our hearts. Friends, God is not trying to kill our joy. Actually, it's quite the opposite. He wants to explode our joy. He wants to multiply our joy. And he knows that as we give our resources to others... That's what's going to happen. He'll always give us enough for what we need. So he wants us to give, not because we, want, uh, because we feel like we have to, but because we want to. So that's the heart, the heart and the posture that he wants us to give in a cheerful way, in a willing way. And now in verses 8 to 11, we see the provision that God gives us in giving. So how can we have this kind of cheerful heart in giving? One way is by understanding the promises God gives to provide for those who give. And so in verses 8 to 11, the big point that Paul is trying to make, and we'll go through each one of the specifics, but the big point is he's trying to say God will provide for whatever he calls you to give. He will always provide. When he calls you to give, he will provide enough for you to do so. And here we see... There's a couple ways that he shows us that. A couple things we need to remember. First, we must remember God's power and ability to provide. So look at verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things that at all times you may abound in every good work. Here Paul is reminding the Corinthians of who God is. If we are going to be generous givers, we have to go back to who God is and what he has done for us. Perhaps in Paul's mind are, are some texts. Maybe the text from the psalmist is in his mind. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
or maybe in Deuteronomy 10, the, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heavens and the earth that is all, all that is in it. He wants the Corinthians to remember that everything is God's, that even what they've been given has been given to them because of the grace of God, even the hard-earned money that they have. So maybe in Paul's mind again is Deuteronomy 8.18 that says, he who, it's he, God, who gives you the power to get wealth. Have you ever thought about that? Wherever you are in life right now, it's because of the grace of God. You might be thinking, well, I worked really hard. I, I, you know, I'm better than others. I did the American dream. Well, God's word actually says even that is a grace. God has given you the grace to have the intellect, the opportunities to make that wealth. And it's all his. It's all his. So we have to remember God's power and ability to provide. To prove his point that God is able to provide all that we need to give, Paul goes back to the Old Testament. He uses an illustration from a righteous man who's described in Psalm 112. I invite you to go back and read that sometime this week. But this whole psalm is about a righteous man. It's a man who fears God, who the psalmist says, he deals generously and he lends. And so here Paul quotes part of that psalm to us in verse 9. He says, as it is written, Psalm 112, he has, he, talking about this righteous man, has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So what is Paul doing here? He is showing the Corinthians that joyful generous giving to the poor and, and just in general freely giving is a key part of every good work that should abound in those who are righteous. He is saying that if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, if you have his righteousness, a way to work out that righteousness and show yourself to the world to be righteous is to be like the man in Psalm 112. And that man, his righteousness endures forever. Well, not only must we remember God's power and his ability to provide, the second thing Paul wants us to remember is God's promise to provide. We see that in verses 10 and 11. So look at verse 10 with me. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Here we see that God provides to supply the seed for sowing, meaning he will give you enough so that you might give to others. He will supply what you need. What is that for confidence when you think about giving? Most of the time when we think about giving, it's like, what do I have to give away? What do I have to give up? But God is saying here, he will supply whatever you need. Not necessarily what you want, but whatever you need. But friends, this is not, again, the prosperity gospel, as I said earlier. The prosperity gospel, which is popular in many parts of America, many parts of Africa and rest of the world, is they come from this kind of text. Actually, a lot of times they come from 2 Corinthians 9, and they say, look, God is saying, if I give, he's going to make me rich. He's going to supply the seed for sowing. He's going to multiply that. So that means he's going to make me rich. Well, friends, whenever you hear that, alarm bells should go off in your, 
in your minds and in your heads because that is a false gospel. God does not promise to make you rich when you give. But he does promise to give you enough so that you can give to others. And when you sow to others, when you give to others, you don't reap more money, you reap a harvest of righteousness. There's a spiritual benefit. There's transformation that happens when you give. So what this means is that the reward for our giving will be that we will become like the righteous man in Psalm 112. That's what Paul is trying to say. That the spiritual blessing, this righteousness that will endure forever, this blessing of becoming, we've become like Jesus in him when he's rescued us, but the the, uh, outworking, the fruit of that righteousness will only be increased and multiplied as we give. There's going to be transformation. There's a fruit or a harvest of that righteousness that is increased when we give. Well, in case we didn't understand the first two times Paul said it, that God is able to give, that he will multiply the seed, he, he just keeps piling it on here. In case we missed it, in verse 11, we get another promise about God's provision toward us when we give. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I wonder if you caught that. God enriches us, literally makes us wealthy, and it's not necessarily with just a material wealth. Again, we're not prosperity gospel. It's, It's enriches us in every way, not so that we can build bigger homes or hoard what God has given, but when God enriches us, whatever way it is, it is so that we can give to others. So we can be generous. Author Randy Alcorn summarizes it this way. God prospers me not to uh, raise my standard of living, but my standard of giving. That's so not the American dream. (laughs) So not the American dream. Friends, God has the power in the promises to provide for those who give to others. So if you are wondering, if God has laid something in your heart, if you are uh, longing to give to a missionary or give to someone, as we talked about last week, a, a person in your mission group or any type of giving to other believers, if you're thinking, well, I don't have enough for that, God is promising to give you what you need to make that happen. You're never going to give outgive God. So as we consider these verses and these promises, it becomes crystal clear that giving really isn't about our bank account and how much is in there. Really, it's a heart issue that reveals what we believe about God himself. So ask yourself, do I trust God and his promises to provide for me as I give? Or am I afraid that he will not sustain me if I give too much for his purposes? Am I afraid that God cannot provide? Apart from God, giving really doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, it's, think about it. You have a, a limited fixed income. It's hard to pay your bills. It makes no sense to give away part of that money so that it will be even harder to pay your bills. It doesn't make sense from an earthly perspective to give 
It didn't make sense for the poor widow to give all that she had to live on. But did Jesus condemn her? What are you doing? You're foolish. What are you doing? You have no money. Don't give that away. No, he commended her. He said she gave more than all the rich people who gave. She gave more than all of them because she gave all that she had to live on. So friends, every time we give, it's a matter of faith. It's a matter of trust. Do we trust in the Lord Jesus? We need to trust in him who says that it is better to give than to receive. So how can we apply just this section, these verses, this week? I think three words. One is look, two is ask, and three is reflect. First is look. Very practically this week, just look at your finances. And, re- and just ask God, are, am I sowing sparingly? Am I giving sparingly or am I giving abundantly? Just between you and the Lord. So look. Second, ask. Ask the Lord Jesus to give you his heart, to give you more of his heart in giving because he is a cheerful giver. He gives more than any can give. And we'll talk about that more a little later. And then reflect. Maybe this week you just need to reflect again on who God is. Reflect on his promises to you. Reflect on what he has done as you look back on your life. He is faithful. He will not let you go. Reflect on who God is. Well, the end of verse 11 is a good bridge into our next section of the text as the Corinthians catch God's vision for giving, this financial gift that they're giving to Jerusalem, given through Paul. Paul says it will produce thanksgiving to God. And that leads us to our second response to the fact that God brings transformation through giving. Our second response is that we need to marvel at what God does through your giving. Marvel at what God does through your giving. You see, we often don't see the results of what God does as we give. That's because most of our giving is done anonymously, as it should be. God doesn't, Jesus said, your right hand shouldn't know what your left is doing and vice versa. But God has a way of taking our feeble offerings and multiplying them for his glory. So we see that starting in verse 12. He, he, Paul pulls back the curtain and he shows us just what was happening as the Corinthians are giving to the believers in Jerusalem. He says, for the ministry of this service, you giving to the Jerusalem church is not only supplying their needs, the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. The point here is that God uses our gifts to bring help to others. Yes, that's certainly the case. But on a much bigger level, it brings God glory. It brings him praise and thanksgiving. Paul shows what this looks like back in uh, Philippians when he remembers the Philippians' gift to him. Remember in Philippians 4 when he was, the Philippians had given to Paul. And Paul didn't say, oh man, you guys are so amazing. I can't believe how great you are. He said this, he, said, he calls their gifts a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So when we give, God unexpectedly and 
without our knowing, he gets the glory. He gets praise. We continue to see how he is honored through giving in verse 13. Paul goes on. He says, by their approval of this service, as the Jews or the Christians in Jerusalem approve this service, your gift to them, they, the, the people in Jerusalem, will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So here we see that generous giving is a natural outworking of a heart that has been rescued by Jesus Christ. Throughout, uh, in this specific case, Paul is saying that the Christians in Jerusalem will glorify God for the way his gospel had changed people around the world there in Corinth. They're going to give praise to God. Look at what your gospel has done, that the gospel has come to them, and not only has it come to them, we see the fruit of it coming them to them because now they have given back to us. The Christians in Jerusalem, they're praising God for the faith of the Corinthians expressed in their giving. So in addition to the praise to God, this act of generosity from the Gentile Corinthians to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem created a bond of fellowship between these two groups that would ordinarily have no connection. It's explained in verse 14. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. So what is the point? The point is that God multiplies blessings when we give. We don't always see those blessings like Paul is detailing here. We don't always see the results of what happens when we give. But when we give, God is pleased to give back to us in very unexpected ways. In this case, the believers in Jerusalem were praying for the believers in Corinth. If you give to missionaries, many times this is the result. Those missionaries end up praying for you, and it's an unexpected blessing that God gives to you as you give after you give to them. But the principle here to remember is that God does far more greater than you could ever ask or imagine when you give. It brings glory to his name. It strengthens the church. It encourages believers and it strengthens their faith. And conversely, when you don't give, there's a loss. There, this uh, scholar, Paul Barnett, helpfully says this about the loss. When we opt out of giving, he says, we opt out of the privilege of meeting human needs and we deny ourselves the honor of promoting God's glory. So I wonder where you find yourself today. Are you opting out of giving and missing out on these blessings? Or are you giving in faith, knowing that God is multiplying whatever, whatever small gift you give out of a cheerful heart, he's multiplying that for his glory. So when we give, whether it's to the church, to missions, to believers in need, this is referring to uh, all types of giving, these principles. No matter how small, let us marvel at what God does through our offering. So that leads to the final response that comes when we understand that God brings transformation through giving. And that's to give thanks for God's greatest gift. Give thanks for God's greatest gift. Look there at verse 15. 
when Paul considers what he's a part of, when he considers what God is doing through the Corinthians, the Macedonians, the Jerusalem church, he's, he's seemingly overwhelmed. He doesn't know how to keep it in because he just praises God. He praises God for all the things that he is doing through these gifts. And so in verse 14, he points the Corinthians back to the reason why any of us give in the first place. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You see, friends, the reason why we give is because God first gave. We give because God first gave. Jesus Christ is the best gift. That's the inexpressible gift, the best gift that God could have ever given. The magnitude of the gift can't even be put into words. It's inexpressible. It's priceless, unable to be measured in any way. In the previous chapter, Paul highlighted the fact that Jesus, though he was rich for our sake, became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. That's the summary of the gospel that we believe. We believe that Jesus emptied himself and left the glory of heaven, the praise of heaven to come to earth, and he suffered in poverty. He suffered in false accusation, mistreatment, leading to his death, and he did so in order that we might become rich in him, that we might receive an inheritance that is imperishable, unfading in heaven. Heirs of the kingdom, co-heirs with him. We got to remember that God gave this gift in love, in a heart of love and in joy. For God so loved us that he gave. He gave his one and only son. And I wonder today, if you're here with a friend or if you're just checking out Christianity, I wonder if you have ever received that gift that God has provided for you in the Lord Jesus. To receive that gift, you must confess your sin, turn from it, and trust in Christ. And he offers eternal life. No payment except for your life, your very life that you might surrender to him. Many of us have done that already, but perhaps we need to look afresh into the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ this week. You know, during Christmas, we've just come off the Christmas season. Our family likes to watch The Grinch that stole, who stole Christmas. The new one is uh, pretty good in our minds. We, we think it's pretty funny. And in that story, if you, if you know The Grinch that stole Christmas, what happened to The Grinch? When he saw generosity up close, when he saw love up close from the who's, what happened to him? His heart grew two sizes that day. Friends, some of us need our hearts to grow two sizes today. We need to look and see and consider and marvel at the love of Jesus Christ for us. And as we do so, the Lord will expand our hearts. He will give us a heart of generosity. He will give us a cheerful heart because that is a natural outworking of a heart that has been rescued by the Lord Jesus. So perhaps today, if you know Jesus, you just need to look afresh at what God has done for you in Christ. Isaac Watts captured it so well 
in his ancient hymn entitled, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. He said, were the whole realm of nature mine, if I owned everything, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my heart, my life, my all. So as we close this morning, I want you to consider how God might be calling you to have a generous heart like his. Ask him, ask him to expand your heart. Ask him that he might give you enough to share with others, not so that you might suffer loss, you can't go to Starbucks or whatever, although that may be a consequence, but so that your joy might increase, that you might be transformed through giving. This isn't about the church's needs. The church will be provided for. God will provide for his church. This isn't about missions. God will provide for missionaries. This is about you and God alone. How is he speaking to your heart today that you might get more of him? Hope Fellowship, we want to be a church that is a generous church, that reflects the generosity of our Savior. We want to be people that are motivated by joy because of what we have been given. We realize that everything has been given to us, therefore we give. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that among us. Let's, let's pray to now about that. Father, we ask that you would make us like you, that when people see us, they would see a heart like yours. Lord, make us generous people. Help us to reflect you. There's not such thing as a stingy Christian. It's, it's just an anomaly. So Lord, help us. Uh, many of us right now even feel that inner voice saying, yeah, but, and our hearts are closed. Lord, open our hearts. Help us to trust you with what you've given us. Help us to trust you as we give joyfully. We pray you would honor your name in this. We pray it in Christ's name.